Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery. Every week we are examining something new, bringing you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company or any guests on the show. This is for educational purposes only and not intended to make an offer or solicitation for any companies or securities mentioned. With that, let's get on with the episode. All righty. So first off, welcome Anurag to Avery Idea Day. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yeah. So we're here with Anurag Rana for many, you know, he doesn't really need an introduction. You've probably seen him on TV. Uh, Anurag is the sector head or the head of uh, Bloomberg Intelligence Technology. He's one of the analysts there. Uh, you know, he can share more about everything he covers. Uh, and that spans pretty far and wide. I think, you know, his coverage universe, what is important or, or, or important to this conversation is really the purview of what he has in terms of some of the secular trends that we're trying to invest behind here at Avery. I think, you know, one of the main focuses that we'll focus on today is automation, digital work, the future of computing, a lot of the things he touches. Before we jump into those, you know, I think it's important for those that don't know you, uh, you know, just give us a little bit of, of color of yourself and, you know, the background. Yeah, no, thanks, Sean. So I cover uh, the technology sector at Bloomberg Intelligence, uh, which is Bloomberg's in-house uh, investment research arm. So we do a lot of work on, um, you know, different areas with the idea of investments. So we give people, uh, um, I would say, a good overview of different sectors, uh, credit, uh, equities, uh, fixed income, uh, all the things that somebody would want to work on. Um, and then they can make their own decisions whether they want to invest or not. So my, my specialization is technology companies. I cover uh, large cap uh, technology companies such as Apple, Microsoft, Oracle, Salesforce, Workday. Uh, IBM, uh, so pretty much the big ones that, that fall in the IT services as well as the software space, and Apple, which is more so on the you know one could argue whether it's a tech company or a consumer company, and you know my job on a day-to-day basis is to look at the financial results of these companies, the supply demand, the margin pressure, the supply chain pressure, uh, what is management thinking about is is management doing the right thing by buying back stock or not? So it's it's a lot of that work that goes into my uh, day job. Um, I also help out our colleagues on, on Bloomberg TV and radio sometimes to answer questions that they have about these companies. So that's really by, you know, what I do on a day-to-day basis. And I'm happy to take our conversations in whichever way you want. Um, needless to say, the uh, tech space is undergoing some massive changes. It has been for over 15, 20 years. And every once in a while, something new comes around and um, that disrupts the old guard, you know, even more. Um, but but I'm happy to deep dive into any of the areas, whether it's cloud, whether it's security, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, services, employment, like anything that you want to touch on, uh, you know, I'm happy to go there. Great. Yeah. No, no, no. We, we definitely, uh, you know, we're Bloomberg users and also, you know, uh, we love the independence aspect of, of what you do. Um, and, you know, so let, let's dig into it. Uh, one being automation. So, you know, from our perspective, you know, we're currently at the intersection of more things, more computing, cheaper computing. Yeah. Uh, you know, more data, better kind of consumer grade software that you, every, some of the names you covered, you know, yeah. 90% of data today is considered dark data as more of that data is captured, you know, stored, analyzed along with kind of, again, easy to, to use uh, software. We think that opens up the door for more automation, robotics in yeah. the physical world, digital automation. Um, and what that does to things like innovation and productivity, I guess the question is being passed to you, which is, you know, your perspective from the purview of where you sit, you know, What's happening in automation along the lines of maybe some of the stuff I just talked about? And then we can get into maybe some of the players that you cover 
just what you're seeing uh, in, in, in the state of automation today. Yeah, I think, you know, almost every disruption that's out there over the past 20 years or 20 plus years has led to more automation or more use of software in some shape or form. You know, you can go back as, as far as Y2K and this massive shortage of engineers. Uh, people didn't know what to do at that time. And they started looking at, you know, outsourcing companies as a way to get some of the work done. And almost everything after that, I would say, is I, I think the big movement in the last 20 years has been cloud. Um, it has been a topic that I guess everybody grew up with. But frankly speaking, even after all of that stuff, majority of the uh, IT footprint is still legacy and on-premise. Uh, people talk a lot about the, you know, the Ubers of the world or Pinterest, the, the companies that are born out of the cloud. But the bulk of the spending is still done by the old banks and the retailers and the healthcare companies. And uh, they are primarily uh, using old products or, or products that were cobbled together uh, in a customized way. And that actually does not mesh very well for the concept of automation. Um, you can drive it, you can do, you know, people are enhancing productivity. But one of the things I would say is there has been a very strong relationship in the tech world between, and, and I'm sure it's the same thing in other spaces as well, between revenue growth and headcount growth. So let's say barring, you know, some industrial companies that have done a lot of good work with automation, you know, I, I would encourage all of you to go look at an Amazon's uh, a warehouse and see how much automation is playing over there. So you don't really need to have that many people to be that productive. You can say the same thing about data centers. The newer data centers are fairly efficient that you need only a handful of people running it. But if you were to do a little bit of correlation between revenue growth and headcount growth for most of even the software companies, you would be very surprised how linear that relationship is. So if you look at somebody like a Microsoft over the last five years, this revenue has doubled in the last five years. And their headcount has almost doubled. So the relationship is somewhere around you know, 1% to 0.8. So if Microsoft needs to grow, let's say 10% next year, it needs to figure out a way to grow headcount 8%. That's really not very efficient, frankly. Sure. Now, you don't see that in the case of Apple where they have, again, you know, if their revenue has gone up by 10% over a, you know, whatever time period you look at, their headcount has only gone up half of that, so 5%. So you see some, uh, you, know, you could say productivity benefits there. But in their case, it's not so much them, it's their vendors who are probably growing at a much faster pace because it's a product company. So I have been surprised um, that over a 15 to 20 year period, even the IT services companies, the ones that are you know, IBM, Accenture, and, and TCS and Infosys in India, for example, they have a very strong correlation between revenue growth rate and employee growth rate as well. Uh, but I think um, you know, everybody's trying to figure out how they can do more with a lot less people there is a big shortage of uh, tech labor even now. Um, over the last three months, I've been answering questions about tech layoffs, but frankly speaking, that's a very small portion of the expansion that happened over the last three to five years. And as I said, Microsoft headcount went to, I think somewhere around 110 or so to, or some, somewhere in the 100,000 range to 221,000 people. So after that, you know, you could say five year boom, if they you know, decided to lay off 5% of the staff, which is 10,000 people, to me, it's not that big a deal in terms of the, you know, the big the math around it. Now, it's unfortunate for those who lost their jobs, and I understand that. But I'm also fairly confident that those people will have very less, uh, you know, problems finding a job over the next few months because there's still a massive shortage of technology professionals in the United States. So for me, automation right now is is needs to happen on that end first. You got to figure out how we're going to make our employees more productive. Otherwise, this relationship will never break. And the big thing we talk about is, you know, can AI help in this case? But one of the things I would say is for me, the single biggest factor is 
in order, if you're still running very large legacy uh, IT footprints, it's going to be very difficult for you to get some mileage out of that. So the number one factor I would say is migration to the cloud, both on the infrastructure side and the application side. That really frees up a lot of dollars uh, of overhead that you're paying to maintain your own databases, to maintain your own servers, to make sure they're always, uh, you know, remains constant or, or up and running. And I think if you do move to a cloud infrastructure, you gain a little bit of leverage from that. So that has happened. That has been happening for a while. But I think the cloud penetration rates are still so low. Um, before we you know, even move into the world of automation or AI or enhancing more benefits out of it, um, the number one factor I would say is that the biggest secular trend for us is this, this slow shift to the cloud. Um, we are already seeing that the cloud growth has slowed down quite a bit in the likes of Amazon and Microsoft. And we'll touch base upon that as well. Um, but that is, I think, the first uh, milestone before we move into this world of automation. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Is is having access to the data uh, more freely um, instead of you know the on-prem where everything is siloed. You know, there yeah. is the the conversation of siloed clouds, right? Uh, in a sense where you know you have Salesforce over here plus yeah. you know the Microsoft ecosystem over there. You know, let's let's go a little bit. Uh, deeper or a little bit more tangible to some of the companies and what they're specifically doing around automation today. You know, you have the Power Automates at Microsoft, you have UiPath doing RPA, robotic process automation, some of the private ones, whether uh, we can talk about those like Automation Anywhere or something like that, Blue Prism. Um, you know, some tangible use cases that you're seeing so we can, you know, we can take the buzzword of automation, put that into tangible use cases so that we can see the line of sight of where we are today and potentially where this thing could go over the next, you know, reasonable time horizon, five years or so. Yeah, I think it is, you know, a lot of these products that you mentioned, uh, and, you know, many others, um, you still have to do a lot of work to come up with a good solution. But once you get that, you know, obviously it reduces the number of FPEs that you have, whether it's back office, middle office, whether it's compliance, whether it is just, you know, writing code. I mean, there are, you know, we have seen a lot of um, increased work over there, you know, the, the, the open AI and, GitHub is using a lot of that stuff, Microsoft, where you can help people write code better and faster than before. So it cuts down the production of, uh, uh, you know, you launching a new product. Similarly, uh, you know, UiPath you mentioned and, and uh, Blue Prism and the others. Now in that also case, you have to go out and look at a particular process. You, that process can then be optimized. Once it's optimized, then it goes away. But, you know, I, what, what I'm going back and saying is um, sometimes what happens is if you move your infrastructure to the cloud, you can even bypass some of that stuff. And now again, it doesn't happen. Um, I think these companies have a good future ahead. Eventually, perhaps somebody would buy a bunch of these companies and include that and embed that in software. But to me, the biggest use of automation and AI is a lot of the big software packages. We want to know how SAP's software gets smarter over time, how Oracle's uh, you know, ERP software gets uh, smarter over time, how Workday's HR software gets smarter over time. And a lot of that has to do be done with, if you have a common data model, if you can gather all that information uh, you know, on a single platform, it just makes it easier for, for you to run any algorithms on it. Uh, the big thing is, you, know, you mentioned about automation and data being hidden in different areas. That's partially the reason Snowflake's doing very well. People are using that to bring that all that data in a cloud data warehouse where you can then analyze that data, run, run analysis on it, and then pass on all the insights to somebody. So uh, you know, either you can upgrade your entire system or you come up with a new way of uh, accumulating that data. But at the end of the day, if you don't have lots of data on a particular customer or a particular client or even your employee, you really can't build a lot of automation uh, around it. So 
I see a lot of work going into the infrastructure side over there. And then in the end, you know, you have, uh, you know, vendors you mentioned that are installing their own software that can cut headcount also. That's also gaining momentum. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's starting from the infrastructure and working your way up. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a good, uh, you know, overview of, you know, automation in general. We'll skip to the next one now, which is, you know, a lot of this stuff all is, is uh, intertwined, right? Which is digital work. You know, again, it comes back to consumer grade software. It comes back to latency for things like audio and visual communication, having something like this. Um, the emergence of, you know, work marketplaces, whether it's the fibers or the Upworks or, you know, some of the other talent, you know, marketplaces that exist today. The cloud, like you mentioned before, and actually having some sort of, you know, digital substrate mm -hmm. that we can all work on. Yeah. I guess the question again goes back to you. The work shifting more digital, you know, there's numbers around how many people are not going back to the office, uh, at least every day. Um, just your perspective, what are you seeing, you know, today versus, you know, where you think this is headed trend-wise over the next, you know, three, five, seven years? Yeah, I think unified communications is a big deal. And, um, you know, one thing one could argue is that any knowledge worker in the U.S. at least who, you know, potentially could get a Zoom connection probably has one by now. So the question is, what does that company sell more? And that's what we're going to figure out down the road because investors pay for growth. And sometimes in these companies, when you were, you know, just grew so rapidly during the pandemic, how do you grow next? Do you grow in a peripheral market? And the real, uh, you know, answer for that is in a software world, you have to figure out a way to sell ancillary products to your install base. Now, from that point of view, some of these companies, whether it's Slack, whether it's uh, Microsoft Teams, whether it is uh, Zoom, they have a very strong install base, and I don't think that goes anywhere. The question is, what all can they sell to that install base uh, to improve their uh, growth rate is, is really the big question. And from that point, I think uh, you know Microsoft has done a good job of trying to compete with Slack, and now they probably are very close to the functionalities of that particular product. And, and because they had such a big install base of Office uh, customers, they've been able to sell that into it and really you know, improve their, uh, uh, their user count. In my view, this is uh, the long-term view is, is that uh, you're going to see a lot of the software packages across all verticals to have a lot more embedded uh, communications uh, you know, involved in it. A lot more AI coming into it and giving you recommendations that can help you uh, save your time. I think we already seen that in, I think, Microsoft Viva that you, know, you get in the morning and say, these should be your top five priorities right now. Um, that kind of work, you, know, you will see a lot of uh, embedding that in the uh, in, 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 in software packages going forward. And that's only going to get more, uh, I think, smarter if a large portion of your infrastructure is on the cloud. Now, I, I think all of these companies will have a place in the, in the next generation digital future as well. Um, you know, but the question is, uh, can they sell more products into that base? And I think that's what I'm looking for, you know, whether it's Zoom or whether it's Salesforce with, the, uh, with, with Slack, is how do they go out and embed Slack into all of their different enterprise products because, you know, I'll give you a very interesting example. I saw uh, one of the United apps that I think uses Teams. It is a, it's an enterprise app. It's not a commercial, it's not a consumer app, but it's done within the, um, within the uh, community of the pilots and uh, uh, other people within that logistics that are trying to figure out how to uh, do scheduling. Um, they're using Teams within that. So that's, it's embedded in it. It's not, uh, it's not using Teams as is. It's just part and parcel of a of a bigger uh, scheduling app that United has. So that's uh, something I read. Uh, now I haven't played with it because I obviously don't work for United, but uh, cool. you can see a lot of the enterprise app that companies have internally will have some of these uh, you know embedded features inside it. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, digital work obviously is uh, fast forward dramatically, obviously over the last three years. So we, we are st- seeing some of the tools and, and where the emphasis is again, when Microsoft clearly shows that, you know, this is where the world is headed by, you know, completely revamping teams and, and adding uh, many of the different functionality that they've added there. It does speak to the notion that, you know, the future of work communication collaboration is, is, you know, platform-based, but it's also uh, a, a large emphasis. It's also a risk to them, you know, with the email client that they've always had uh, and Outlook. Yeah. So, you know, part of this was defensive, but I think it's turned very offensive uh, over the last year or so, um, yeah. which, which is pretty interesting. You know, let's continue on. And I think, you know, I think future of computing, which is another, you know, overarching innovation block yeah. here at Avery that I think is worth mentioning. And it's, it's, it's very vague, but it's, it's vague on purpose because there's a lot of different types of, you know, ways to go about, you know, what the future of computing will be, whether it's, you know, you focus on the hardware or software. Uh, of it, you know, we continue to think again, computing is going farther, it's going wider. You, we talked about on-prem, which is most what companies run on today, but the public cloud, the private cloud, the hybrid cloud, the multi-cloud, all the different buzzwords, I know, uh, edge yeah. computing, you know, where it's the devices, different form factors, you know, we 2022 was the year of, you know, metaverse and, and that concept or that dialogue, but it really is around another computing, you know, vessel that we would be using. Um, and again, it drives more computing, drives yeah. more storage consumption, more access to more data. Talk about computing, all the kind of different variations I just uh, explained and, and anything you can share in terms of where, uh, you know, future of computing is headed. Yeah, I'm, I'm more biased towards that phase. For me, uh, the basic computing services are like a utility or electricity. You really, unless it's absolutely needed for any reason, there's no reason for you to do it internally. Um, you know, companies like Amazon and then Microsoft and Google are doing it at a scale, doing it at a cost, doing it at a security uh, and, and the homogeneous nature of it better than anybody can do it in-house. So for me, that is the uh, de facto place where everybody will go. Now, we have already seen now you can go out and look at results from Amazon for the last three quarters. Same thing for Microsoft, a massive slowdown in consumption. Um, that's bad for these vendors in the short term but it's a very good thing for them in the long run because it's teaching companies that you can take your entire fixed cost IT infrastructure, which is a large portion of your total tech budget and make it more variable in nature. So if you don't want to use it any uh, quarter to that extent that you're using now, you can turn it back down and save a lot. That was never an option for any large company before. Now, given, as I said, the workloads are very few in the public cloud compared to the on-premise footprint, so I think this big disruption right now that we are having because of economic weakness will drive more workloads to migrate to the cloud. Now, whether that takes a year, two years, three years, it doesn't matter. But I think the world is still going to be a very different public cloud heavy place. Now, in some cases, people are bringing workloads back because they didn't know how much would it cost them um, to just migrate one workload and try to run off it. And that's where the companies need to have a lesson that even though you can migrate a workload, um, if you're not re-engineering it and making it more cloud native, then you are really sometimes wasting your time if you're paying for the usage of that data. You might as well put it in your own data center. So we, we're going to see a lot of push and put over time, but I feel that just the nature of the CapEx that is being spent by these three hyperscale cloud providers far supersedes any company, or in fact, all the other companies, I would say after some time, it would be bigger than that, which means it would be better in terms of scale, speed, and security. And I think that's going to be a realization for companies as they go forward, 
that why am I doing it? Now, there will be certain workloads that will not move to the cloud. And that could be, has to do with a business decision. Uh, a CEO or a CFO or an executive would say, you know what, this is my bread and butter and I cannot even risk anybody else having it. If I have to pay more money for it, let that be. And that is still going to be the case. So that's your, you know, but that on-premise workload would also be a, um, designed in a different way than it is now. It will be distributive. It will be, it will, you know, punish those departments that are not utilizing it properly. I can also see one day that these companies basically give their hardware fee to uh, a lot of companies and say, listen, you want to do it your way, do it. You want to manage it. You want to run it, take care of this. I'm giving you free hardware with software. I just want to get billed for the usage of it. In this case, they maintain the full control. They're going to recommend that, listen, not recommend, they're going to basically say, okay, we have a new patch out that you have to update it. You know, that keeps it very secure. But I haven't seen that as of now because the, the, the public market is so big enough at this point. But I can see that, you know, visually down the road, how that infrastructure could be part of it. So that's really the, on the as far as the edge computing is concerned, I think that's also um, 5G is enabling that uh, people can install more IoT products on the edge. That's going to drive more compute resources, more, you know, the use of, um, uh, you could say, chips and semiconductors down the road. Uh, so th that's really the computing landscape I see. I, I honestly don't, and, and again, one of the things I talk about a lot, uh, both on radio and TV, is if you see what happened in the last 12 months, energy costs have skyrocketed in Europe and across the world. What that did was added a lot of extra cost for these cloud data center companies. Microsoft in their previous quarter basically said they're gonna have an extra $800 million in expenses because of high energy costs. This quarter, I think they brought that number down to somewhere around 500 million. So think about it that you're a company and suddenly out of the blue, out of no fault of your own, your cost of running a data center is spiking up. Yeah, again, that could be 10, 50, 20, whatever percentage is going up. But then you start thinking, this is not the core of what I do. Why don't I offload this work to either a hyperscale cloud provider or a co-location facility and let them deal with the headache and I will just not worry about any of those things. And the biggest thing, more than just the cost itself, it's the shortage of labor because you need mm -hmm. a highly skilled labor to run this thing. Why do I have to bother with this thing? Let that be Amazon's problem. And that's where Amazon is deploying a lot more automation tools to make sure they don't really need to hire as much. And as they get bigger, you know, scale helps them both with margins as well as uh, trying to be more uh, automated. Yeah, no, that was a, a really well uh, articulated, you know, purview of uh, future of computing. Um, yeah, I mean, just to, to chime in a little bit, yeah, you are seeing kind of what you said with, uh, you know, HPE's GreenLake option, which is, you know, really shifting the mindset, actually the CapEx budget going from CapEx to OpEx. You're seeing some of that, which is pretty interesting as, you know, the old guard tries to, you know, defend their, their turf um, in, on the computing side. You know, I think right there, I'll summarize going from the, you know, the, the, the bottom up, which was, you know, the, the last thing we just talked about, which really facilitates and powers everything else we talked about, the future of computing where, you know, net net, while some people may be repatriating some of their cloud spend to back on-prem, net, the net number is definitely moving to the cloud. Why? Because, you know, flexibility in, in, in their financial models as a CFO, uh, they, they would appreciate that, but also flexibility in how you can access and use some of the information you're gathering over that time where the snowflakes and Databricks and some of the others are, are benefiting from this or their customers yeah. are. Then you go to digital work where you talked about, you know, obviously the Microsoft is intertwined in all this stuff, um, but really around, you know, digital work and, and unified communications, not only being, 
a better way because of all the compute resources we have, but the data collected that that is 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 happening there, which will then power the next phase, which is around automation, which is all around productivity. You're not automating for anything else other than trying to be productive and or trying to reduce errors and mistakes of something that is hyper manual or hyper important. Um, you know, with that, I don't know if you have anything to share around this whole concept of you know future of computing, digital work, automation. Um, you know, any takeaways that you wanted to land? Uh, if not, just where can they find more information about you outside of, you know, Bloomberg uh, TV and, and some other things that you're always on? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the terminal. You can email me anytime. I'm happy to chat about it. But from my side, you know, people talk about AI a lot, automation a lot. But the, uh, the, the foundation is unless you have a very agile and a fast infrastructure, you really can't do much. Second, you really need to have a very comprehensive data model because without that, you can't run any insights. Um, you need the system or the algorithms to be able to look at your old history, your customer data, your uh, transactional data for several years to even give you any insights. You know, for that, that's why, you know, cloud data warehouses or, or uh, you know, common data platforms or what, what customer data, whatever the, the acronym is, um, you need some way to aggregate that information. And then on top of that, you overlay some of that stuff. So there's a bit of a customization involved in it which is why it takes sometimes you know, a fair amount of work to uh, do this. IBM has been pushing Watson for many years, but we have still see the dollar amount is not very large for them. And that's because it's not an easy, uh, the concept is very easy to say, but implementation of that is very hard, especially right. when you know, a large portion of your data resides in multiple systems. I think they, the, the key in our view is going to be, um, you know, how do companies uh, face the productivity issue and the shortage of labor issue at the same time, uh, because you know, at one point you'll have a very tough time finding any labor, let alone skilled labor. So I, I think that is why um, there's a lot more push on, uh, you know, new chatbots and other things that can actually help make you far more productive. So that's really my, you know, viewpoint is that I don't think the current pause in IT spending is going to uh, delay. I mean, it's delaying stuff, but it's not going to do a destruction to the the path that we have you know, embarked on, which is making each company a lot more digital than it was before. Because at the end of the day, if you cannot provide very high level of customer service to your uh, clients, you know, unless you're a monopoly, which I don't think there are that many out there, um, you're going to have a very hard time retention of customers. And, and for that, you, know, you will lose market share. I mean, by look at the banking industry. It, right. it is, there's nothing so special about them other than customer service. So they are spending so much more to understand you as a customer better and give you financial products before you even want them. And I think that 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 shift is not going to ha- change any time. It may take a pause in 2023, but I think if it comes back as soon as the Fed decides to pivot uh, on the interest rate side, I think the spending IT spending comes back. And I think the year, whichever that is next year or the middle of next year or whenever that happens, uh, the rebound is going to be very sharp. Got it. Anurag. Appreciate you uh, coming on and spending uh, some time with us today. Thank you for having me, Sean. It was fun.